You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. What up, what up? Good evening. Yo, yo. Just waiting for the squad to pull up. <laughs> Somebody hopped in real quick and their name was so funny. I wish they would have stayed. <laughs> I thought I saw somebody. Uh, tell me the name. Well, you know. Tell me it, the was name. Like, it was like Elon Musk. And then I was like, let me go look at the page. And it, it was like Elon Musk, third blackest cousin or something like that i don't know something funny oh. <laughs> i was telling him there was someone that popped in real quick before everybody got here and it said elon musk and i was like hold on so i clicked on it and it was like elon musk third blackest cousin or something like that. Uh... I, like, Stop. I wish he would have stayed so y'all could see it <laughs> not his not his cousin yeah, <laughs> I was like, I am done. Because I was like, Elon Musk, what you doing in here? No. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're blowing the joint up. So where is everybody at? Especially Stephen. He, he got three minutes, two minutes. <laughs> you know he said he wasn't, he wasn't going to be punctual. <laughs> right. I, said, I, said, I said you got to 9.05 and we moved right. on to another time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Rakim, how long have you known Steve? Um, uh, probably about as long as I've known you. Yeah, probably about as long as I've known you. Get out of here. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, the time, the sure. time blends or whatever. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same time he, frame. He was doing a panel on financial trauma right around the time I started you know, doing the financial trauma thing. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, shoot, like somebody else is talking about this and it's a black dude. And so I sat on his panel and I was just like, oh, yeah, this guy is dope. And then ever since then, we've just been connected. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's what's up. So uh, I'll give you the quick story while while you try to chase him down to see if he's coming tonight. Um, No, I text him. He said he's coming. He's on his way in. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, So with Steve... I've literally known this dude pretty much my whole life. Um, so one of my best friends, like one, yeah, one of my best childhood friends, actually still a friend of the family, um, his mom, um, I would go to that friend's house that is Samoan. And we would play all the time, hang out, our families would hang out. And there were these black kids down the street from where my Samoan friend lived that had a trampoline. And so we would walk down there at like age four or five-ish years old and go jump on the trampoline with these black kids. Uh, Steve was one of those black kids that lived at the house, him and his brother. See, with kids, you know, when you're little... You always bond over something that someone has, whether right. it's a bike <laughs> or a trampoline right, right. or something else cool that you don't have. Right. That's how you make most of your friends. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. 
And uh, I, mean, I didn't realize that that was him until probably like middle school. I was like, what? You And we realized that we knew the same people. So, yeah, Steve's a good dude. Really good dude. Um, and uh, gotten to kind of, you know, walk alongside him. We went to college together, all that stuff, too. So, he's good people. Yeah. We um he he called me uh, earlier this week. We was on the phone for like an hour and a half, and they were just like completely out of the blue. <clears throat> but what I really like about Steve is that um he owns that financial therapist title, and there's a lot in the financial psychology financial therapy community. There's a lot of like infighting around who can use that term, and um he just stands on it like. I'm going to be me. I'm going I'm to call myself how I want to call myself. I'm going to do what I want to do because at the end of the day, I'm not doing it for you. And a majority of the people, a.k.a. all of the people who have a problem with black people calling themselves financial therapists are, um, from my experience, white women who are um, licensed like social workers or whatever. And so they're using like academia as like a gatekeeper to um here he goes as a gatekeeper to like keep us out and you know we just we vibe out on that all the time. <laughs> all the time. And see, you know, it's crazy cuz I asked, you know, y'all know, I asked my black therapist friends and they like I don't see the problem. Like, can you break this down to me one more time? And I'm like, I don't see the problem either. Um, I don't get it. So, anyway. right. right? Yeah. No. I I I love it. That that sounds like my man Steve. That he would stand on it and be like, man, I don't care what y'all think. This is this is what I'm finna do. So, we we cut from the same cloth on that one. Steve, you here, bro? Less than ten minutes after the starting time. Yeah, we we spoke it into existence. Right, <laughs> two minutes late. You lucky. You lucky. We was already having a conversation, literally about you, <laughs> that made it go over. Ah, so. uh, okay, got you. Right, yeah, I was Tiffany I was looking he, out. Steve has five minutes. Five minutes after that, are we gonna keep it moving? <laughs> right, right. I re- I See, I was looking out. I respect the time. That's that's cool though. What's good, Joe? Crew is a little light today, but uh, nothing. We was we was just chatting. Uh, Stack was asking how I knew you, how long I knew you, and then we got into this whole conversation about backgrounds. Mm. Got you, got you. Yeah, um, I feel like Stack. Where are you where are you at in the country? You in Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Charlotte. Are you are you still doing like the the nomadic deal? Yeah, I am. Um, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna hit a pause button probably around April. Uh, I just I'm looking at a short term lease here in DC before I cop something, or maybe I'll cop something by then. We'll see. But um, DC is gonna be the place though. Nice, nice. I'm at the at the slide up there, man, For and sure. say what's good to you. For sure, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to making it a place that people can come pull up. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I was giving them some backstory, just that we've actually known each other forever, <laughs> um, and that you were the you were you and Harold were the black kids with the uh, trampoline. 
Man, you, you uh, always feel that. And, but I, I keep telling you, that was Joseph's house that we'd meet at. Joseph is the one who had the trampoline. See, that, I I promise you, I, it's like ingrained in my head. I just know y'all were the black kids. Well, you know what? So. I appreciate you like passing that trampoline wealth onto us. Like I, <laughs> right. like I thank you for that. <laughs> right. We just go one of these days. We just go have you take it. Be like, yo, Joe, sure. forget it, man. Sure. It wasn't yours. <laughs> All right, I, I'll stop. I'll stop with the nostalgia, man, and we'll, we'll get back on the program. That's cool. All right. So thank you all so much for coming. This is Finn Noir, Space for Black Money Talk. I'm actually going to take the back seat tonight and Rakim is going to be the main host and I'll just be, um, you know, listening. Uh, (laughs) So just a quick introduction. My name is Tiffany Grant with Money Talk with Tiff and I do financial literacy and education. So I love teaching people about money. Our man of the hour, Rakim. (laughs) I'm Rakim Sabri. And I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. I run the Overcoming Financial Trauma podcast and newsletter. And uh, why don't we introduce Steve? Steve Hughes. What's good, y'all? I'm Stephen Hughes. I'm a financial therapist and Reiki master teacher. I help people to get to the root of their money challenges so they can live the financial and holistic life that they should. All right, Anthony. I'm Anthony Weaver. I am the host of the About That Water podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits. And Steve Stack. Yo, uh, my name is Steven Stack. I'm a debt-free millionaire, and I try to help people build wealth while always remembering that wealth goes beyond our bank account to the person that we're becoming. Fantastic. So I'm actually just going to turn it over to Steve Hughes because he came into our space last week, dropped the bomb, and then dipped out on us. And so we want to spend the better part of the hour kind of talking about that topic. Stephen, do you remember remember the topic? I was about to say, this is so wild that uh, y'all both both co-hosts handed to me, Uh, but I... I remember that when I first uh, when I first jumped in the space last week, uh, we talked about how y'all were sharing about the thoughts and feelings you have around money. And I think that we briefly touched on money beliefs. Was that the topic? So you were talking about um, well, one of the one of the many things that you dropped that I think we wanted to create space for today was comparing our challenges financially to, um, to those of European descendants. And so like decolonizing our finances or our mindsets around money. Got it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we could definitely talk about that. Um, so when we're, when we're talking about, um, topics like the racial wealth gap i think that a lot of times we talk about things that we can do um on a on a micro level like the things that each of us can do in our households the things that we can do with the money that we make or the um the savings or investments that we have when it's really it's not an individual problem or challenge Uh, when we're talking about the racial wealth gap we're talking about something that was uh, systemically created 
And so it can't have uh, individual solutions if it was uh, systemically created. And so oftentimes, like we, you know, we get into this conversation about what we can do to close the racial wealth gap. And I just don't run that race. Uh, I think that when we talk about money and resources uh, and when we're talking about money and resources for us um, in the black community, I think that we have to take a very specific lens to see um, not only have the awareness of where we are, but to also acknowledge what we need to get to the next step. I think, you know, all of us who are in here having this conversation um, are at a point of privilege where we um, probably have gotten some resources to take care of ourselves um, past just doing okay or past just the necessities, like past survival. And when oftentimes when you're first like getting started in financial education, um, everyone pushes you the basics of budgeting, saving, eliminating debt and managing credit um, and then starting to invest. But, you know, if we just work on those topics or just like highlight those specific things and um, keep running the same analysis that we get the numbers from the racial wealth gap for, I have to continue to have that same conversation um, and don't create specific solutions for us because of the because of the situations that we've been in and our current state. Um, then financial education, as far as what we're doing, is, is failing the community. I think that um, when, if we don't, <clears throat> if, if we keep acting like the uh, racial wealth gap is something that we should focus on in terms of our solutions and our time and energy, outside of um, making the macro changes on a grand scale, uh, then and don't provide people with the steps and pl places they should go, like past the basics now. Um, then I think, you know, I think that that puts us in a position where uh, we meet different economic situations, knowing that we're responsible not only for us, but we're also taking care of generations um, before us and after us. Um, and, you know, whether it's a, a mother, a father, a, a grandmother, or aunt or uncle, but having those responsibilities and not having like some guidance on how to maneuver that or how to take care of um, family that spans multiple generations in a household. Uh, I think that we consistently miss the vote there. And so um, I'm going to pause because I feel like I'm saying a lot, but I would like for anybody to jump in. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the pause is appropriate and I think what you've shared is appropriate. And I, I want to, um, kind of call back to a conversation that you and I had had offline where we were talking about um, financial psychology and financial therapy specifically. And um, you talked about the difference between a cognitive approach and a clinical approach to financial psychology. And when I, you know, that kind of played over in my mind after we talked and, you know, even ahead of this conversation because um, where I think both are necessary, I think it also plays into a lot of what you're talking about today, right? So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of what you said was from the clinical perspective, um, we're interacting on a one-to-one -one basis. So a lot of times you'll see like your coaches, your therapists, um, or your financial coaches, your financial therapists looking at what is a day-to-day um, obstacles that you're experiencing psychologically to prevent you from doing the things that you know that you should be doing, budgeting, saving, building credit, whatever. And then 
from the cognitive perspective, when we're looking at, and this is kind of the area that I hang out in, we're looking at the impact of generational trauma through slavery and Jim Crow and institutional um, racism and um, all of the obstacles that shape how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our place in society, um, whether or not we feel um, emboldened or entitled to combat um, just some of the things that you're talking about, salary discrepancies, not being promoted or, or tapped on the shoulder to be promoted, like having to advocate for ourselves because we just internalize this idea that we have to work twice as hard to get just as far. And what is the way or what is the approach rather to healing so that we feel that when we enter a room, we're just as much or just as entitled to the space as our non-white counterparts. And so, you know, this is a slippery slope, I know, or, or rather a, a deep rabbit hole, and I don't want to lose everybody here. But I think when we're talking about decolonizing our mind or our mindsets around money, that that nuance that you had shared with me is so important because a lot of people are approaching it from one perspective or the other instead of both and and when we look when we, when we take a step back and we kind of zoom out it it eliminates i think in my opinion anyway it eliminates the infighting that says well the successful black people who look at the unsuccessful black people and say oh well i did it i pulled myself up by my bootstraps and i made it work stop playing the victim stop you know what i'm saying and the unsuccessful financial financially unsuccessful rather black people who are like well, I'm in the trenches. I'm working, you know, 80 hours a week, two different jobs. I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to do everything right. But these are the walls that I'm running into. And there's not any there's not any community or there's not any cooperation or unity in the way that we approach. Um, and I think, you know, the racial wealth gap is just a tip of the iceberg. But um, we'll stop at that point or rather we'll start at that point before we move forward. So I appreciate you um, holding the space, being here with us. And um, I want to invite anybody who's been listening to, uh, to chime in. I'll, I'll dive in here of, uh, I think you both really highlighted some good things of just having an understanding that when we talk about the racial wealth gap, that a lot of people um, maybe with, with really good intentions, try to attack it from an individualistic lens only. Um, and without maybe understanding some of the context and history that we didn't individually get here, as, as Steve, uh, mentioned that there was systemic things that, that, uh, took place to get us there. Uh, now, as far as just some of the, uh, like some of the, like the mindset things or, or how, how can we approach it, uh, differently? I'll just speak personally for me, um, uh, that, uh, things like faith were really, have really been core for me personally to have a mentality that, that says I'm not less than anybody, uh, but also I am not uh, beyond anybody either. 
Um, and like I said, Steve, Steve, he's literally known me for, for decades. So he knows that this is a kind of like a life's, uh, mantra for, for me of living in a way that, that says I've been able to climb significantly uh, in a lot of ways within society, but faith has given me a perspective of humility in how I treat people, how I engage with people, how I allow people to approach me, um, but also having firmness and strength when people are looking to waste my time too, or potentially have bad intentions uh, in mind to say, hey, I've got to stay on this wall and do my part to build in the collective uh, of the work that I feel that was put in front of me to do uh, with, with my space, no pun intended, uh, but space in life. Um, and so I'm not going to let someone trick me out of my spot of getting off the wall, but I will more than gladly help others be able to find their place on the wall, uh, so that we can build and have more collective uplift. But I figured I'd just give some of my personal, uh, perspective of, of how I keep that in balance or tension of yeah don't get it twisted and y'all know if you for those of you who have met me in person if i'm in a room i can very much command a presence in a room but on the other hand i can also be humble and chill and just sit and listen and learn as well so i'll stop there appreciate that and you got your hand raised Yep. How you doing, everybody? So one of the things that I was that was interesting um, about this topic was um, when you talk about the detriment of actually adding value um, to the community. And I was thinking of it more so that there's obviously a time and place when we can change the narrative or the conversation. Granted that most of the time when it comes to the financial side of the house, we always talk about the saving, the budgeting, um, and spending and so forth. But with that understanding, it's like sometimes we just need that refresh of the baseline. Um, but also to understand like, yeah, some of us who didn't have the typical household where you have both parents. Um, I didn't have both parents in my household. I mean, that was just, um, my mom had remarried and had like two extra people. I mean, actually three extra people because the guy came with two extra kids. And then it was just me and my other two brothers. So seven people in the house with a dog. So, you know, sometimes we have to, we can see where we want to go, but how do we we get there and everybody gets there a little differently. And I think the opening conversation was saying, it's like, we just over the hump where we have room to breathe. And to understand that, yes, we got there, but how do we get there? What mentality that we had to take or things that we had to pivot 
in our lifestyle. So to give up in order to get to where we at, do we give up the way that way how we conversate with each other? Do we give up the people that were not in our lifestyles anymore? So those are the things that I was thinking about throughout everybody's conversation of like, what is it that we can try to do to help the people that we really want to help give up? Well, not really give up, but to distance themselves from the things that they want to get rid of or in order for them to get to where they want to be. Um, so I really love this topic, by the way. Um, yeah, so that's all I have on my yield. Uh, Mike at this point, thanks. And before you, uh, before you yield, I just want to clarify, are those questions directed at any particular person or are they just kind of like discussion points that you want us to ponder over as we continue? Um, these are just questions either to ponder as we go through and reach out to our communities or something that we can discuss here, but I didn't want to take away from the overall discussion. But those are just things to think about as uh, as we go out into our communities and our respective people that, you know, listen to us um, to add value to them, but not to forget to from where they are. Cool. I um I have a couple of thoughts. And uh, the first one is, you know, as you were talking about, how do we change people's mindset, right? And it's a very difficult thing to to make somebody, regardless of how much you care about them or how positive your intentions are for them, do something that they don't want to do or that they're not prepared to do, right? Um, and so there's that very famous quote, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And um, recently I heard kind of a rebuttal to that quote that I thought was really interesting. And I said, you know what, from this moment on, I'm going to carry this forward. And it was that, yes, you can't, you can bleed a horse to water and you can't make it drink, but you can create an environment where that, that horse becomes thirsty or you can model that behavior so that the horse knows what to do in front of that water. Right. And I was like, damn, like, you know, that's a game changer because a lot of times people, um, particularly like educators will stop at that point and say, well, you know, I tried to show them um, the way, you know, led them to the water and they just, they didn't do it. And I think when we talk about, you know, this topic and just kind of reset the room, because I see a lot of new um, new faces in here since we, since we started, we're talking about like decolonizing your mindset around money, um, particularly us. And um, what I'm hearing from from the example that you gave it is that we're not all starting at the same like footing right we're not starting at even footing a lot of us are starting from behind the eight ball and especially when we're looking at um ourselves in comparison or financially in comparison to um our white peers um we have to be creative a lot of times to get to where it is that we need to get to and so um I've been having almost daily conversations with people in my life who are like, man, like everybody around me is not really trying to be where I'm at and it can get frustrating. It can get lonely. And I'm like, yeah, like I know the feeling. So, um, I want to pause cause I don't want to take up all the time. Um, I see Mawali here with his hand raised. Hey, what's going on everyone? Good evening. 
uh, great conversation. Uh, <laughs> a lot of thoughts went through my mind, and um, I find that um, uh, uh, Stephen Stacks, um, I take somewhat of a similar approach, um, I guess, from a uh, more spiritual or religious perspective of, uh, or I mean, it's not exclusive to religion, but stewardship. You know, we. Um, like for earlier Stephen mentioned, we are coming from different areas of privilege, whether it's just the information or the experiences we know and we're passing it on to, <clears throat> excuse me, passing it on to other people. Um, but it's, uh, it's a matter of conveying that and finding the right audience. And sometimes our audience may be a subset of what we think it is, is what I've been finding as well, because we are coming from different areas and we might have... Um, we might be providing micro solutions for a macro, macro problem. And I think back to um, this book, um, actually one of my pastors, I'm kind of doing a, um, a book club with him and <laughs> haven't had a chance to finish the book, but it's called When Helping Hurts. And it talks about how, um, and, and the, this can definitely go down a rabbit hole as well, but how when missionaries and uh, Christians go into specific areas and, you know, they do more harm than good, even though their intentions are, are, are meant for good or meant to um, spread Christianity. But um, what tends to happen is without understanding the ecosystem properly, properly, they're doing more harm. And but also in that book, it talks a lot about how it really depends on the type of service or help you provide to people depends on um, just what they need. So if someone is um, trying to get back on their feet and they just think from a very traumatic experience and, you know, horrible financial um, background or um, the lack of support, like it wouldn't be helpful for me to try to help them invest because they need the basics at that point. So I'm at a different, I'm in a different space or um, yeah, somewhat in a different space so the, they, they need more of the basic, uh, the basics as, as the form of service or love towards them and help usher them. So I need to meet them at a later stage in their journey. And I think sometimes if you don't realize that early enough, you can find yourself frustrated. And um, I think it's similar with uh, just some of the ecosystems that we're, we're, we're working through. So uh, no, great conversation. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Jonathan, I see your hand. Hey, uh, before Jonathan jumps in, um, I would love to hear from Tamika or, or Tiffany if they have anything to say. Because uh, I feel like it's just been black men talking. But um, yeah, Tamika, Tiffany. And if not, by all means, Jonathan, jump in. All right. So I personally would go back to where you first began the conversation when you were saying, um, you know, we're working on the issues from pretty much like the ground level versus looking at the overall picture. Um, and I feel like a lot of it, of course, we know, you know, reading the color of law and, you know, knowing the history around all this stuff or what have you, um, a lot of it was policy and a lot of it was law. So personally, what I'm trying to do is get into that space 
and change policies around it. Now, I preach about this all the time (laughs) where we don't have enough representation at those levels, right? So, you know, locally, I serve on boards, I get representation there. You know, a lot of times I'm the only Black face, but I'm glad that I'm there because it allows me to put input in that a lot of these other groups have no idea. Like, (laughs) I use the example, I was in one board meeting and I had to sit there and explain WIC because they had no idea what WIC was. They had no idea what EBT was. But these are the t- these are the people that you're trying to help. And, and so having that representation at all levels um, is super helpful. And not just representation. So not just saying, oh, this is a person that looks like me. But actually having people that are speaking up and actually doing the work um, is personally where I'm trying to attack uh, because like you said we can do all the budgeting and all this stuff that we want but if a lot of these policies and stuff don't change like I was just watching a documentary I'm a nerd I was just watching a documentary and he was talking about redlining again right Um, and the documentary series if y'all want to check it out because it's pretty cool um, it's called the United Shades of America and it's hosted by a black comedian But he goes to all of these different um, demographic groups. So he's talked to like the KKK. I watched that one yesterday Um, and the Hispanic group, um, which there's a whole nother conversation. I want to get in with that. But anyway, um, Hispanic groups and so on and so forth. So in the episode that I was watching before we got on here, he was talking about redlining again. And again, this goes into policy. Now, what I've learned recently um, just because I go to a lot of these economic um, development and inclusion conferences is that even at the city level, um, a lot of things can't be done as far as redlining is concerned because the state actually um, has laws that prevent the cities from doing anything. So here locally, I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, our city planner Um, she is all about, you know, trying to change things. Um, It's a white lady. She's all about trying to change things. She actually talked about the color of law book um, when she was on a panel, so on and so forth. But she, she made a point to say a lot of stuff she can't do because her hands are tied at the state level. So that's why I'm saying at all levels of government, we need more representation. Uh, We need people that are trying to push for different policies. So that way we can change these things on a broader level versus I mean what we do (laughs) is is good but we also need that next step in order to make some real change so that is my two cents on the topic (laughs) thank you thank you all right Jonathan um I see your hand and then Kamari no I appreciate you uh, allowing me to jump in Molly and Tiffany you both said a couple things I think uh, Molly the thing that kind of triggered in my mind was uh, we all understand that this wealth, accumulating assets, all that, it really is a journey when you get down. Even if you want to do uh, a build a business or anything, it all boils down to taking time. When you think about the first time you made $100,000 for the average person, I mean, now it, you can probably go jump into tech, but even that takes at least four or five years before you reach that mark. I say say that to understand that the effects um, on why certain advice doesn't necessarily work really have 
really small details that impact. So for me, one of the things that I've studied or I've been really just bearing down on researching and really trying to understand um, myself more, as well as um, the African-American culture that I'm proud to be a part of is simply put, why don't we like saving money? If you ask someone, they don't think it's a bad deal, bad idea, and they think they should, but the actual aspect of putting money in a savings account, putting money in an investing account, with you're not seeing the actual tangible result, it's hard for one to sustain. It's the same thing as uh, why paying off debt for anyone might be tough. And the biggest part that I kind of come away with in that is the small details, meaning, hey, if a person's never had $30,000, and I'm only using this because I had a, um, a close friend that asked my advice on something, and he said, yeah, I know you'll tell me to pay the car off. I'm like, yeah, if you would have asked me that five years ago, I said, yeah, you got 30 grand opportunity, yeah, pay your car off. Now I've matured in my thinking and I understand that if I tell somebody from my culture to go pay their car off with $30,000 that they've never had that type of money in their lifetime, never saved it, never even had anything close to it, I'm probably going to do more harm than good for them to get off the financial path. Instead, I would tell them, hey, well, let's look at it a couple of ways. Maybe dollar cost average and pay the thing off in 18 months or two years or something because it will be less of a sting and you'll be saving along the way. So by the time you get to the end, maybe you still got 15 grand left over and that's less of a hit. You still reach the goal, but and you found value a little bit more than if you, hey, I had 30 grand once, I paid off debt. Well, now I got the same car that I've been driving for a long time things that this whole investing thing, at least for me, um, what I'm understanding and putting it into real context is it's still very new in the fact that think about 40 years from that, or I'm sorry, we're in 20, 2022. So 42, 44 years ago, majority of companies didn't have a 401k. And that's just the 1980s. That's when I was born. So majority of companies didn't have a 401k. Still at that time, investing wasn't accessible to a lot of income brackets. We're now in a phase where pretty much everybody has a 401k. They're uh, even doing the Roth 401k and everyone can invest. But it's such a, which technology is a blessing for that. But it still harkens to the idea of we all don't know. We No one's really figured out the strategy of helping move the needle of 58% of people have an invested account. They're not saying they're saving, but they have an actual investing account. And then the fact that the people who are saving, the problem, the challenge, not even problem, the challenge with them is very oftentimes people who are 60, 55, whatever the case may be, that ain't got worked their lifetime, they still haven't saved enough. So it's two huge things that underneath the surface, at least for us in the culture that I've seen, is what are the things that's distracting us? Why are we getting um, put off path or not following through all the way? And it's, it, you're right, laws, habits, environment, all those things surround us. But I would also say that 
ignorance plays a huge part. And I mean ignorance in the sense of misunderstanding because I still think we're still in the new phase of, hey, everyone has access to this because people didn't have access before. And when I say before, I'm talking about when I, the the decade I was born. Jonathan, you uh, you made some really good points and I appreciate you adding that that flavor to this pot because um, I mean, I, there is no argument there. And, and the first thing that I thought of was like how some of these strategies or products or services even are um, are marketed to to black people specifically. And, and I think of um, right now the, the, the hot topic is the index universal life insurance. Right. And you hear we're talking about decolonizing the financial mindset. You hear things like, oh, this is what the Rockefeller family did or um, this is what Walt Disney did. And to your point, their sophisticated strategies and time has changed the way that some of these products look and feel and work. And what um, ultimately, what is the end result of us using these products in a in a situation where maybe we're not prepared to financially? So I think, you know, that's definitely some good context. Um, all right, I'm going to try to remember the order here. We have Kamari, we have Stephen Hughes, we have Jay, and then we have Stephen Stack. Good evening, everybody. Um, so I'm just getting caught up. So if any of my commentary is redundant, please forgive me. But just sticking to the topic of decolonizing finance, the first thing that comes to mind is what I see. It seems like a lot of times what our community is concerned with as relates to wealth, is concerned with things um, um, and not people or not elevation of community. And so I think about the miseducation of the Negro. I think about um, Maggie Anderson's book um, because we still have an issue with um, black folks buying from black-owned businesses. That's still a challenge to this day. And so I think as long as we still kind of co-op or uh, adopt a European mindset. Finance will always kind of be colonized only until we're able to really go deeper into our culture and to why we are so important. We as a black people, we as the community only then will um, a real change about decolonizing finance will truly happen for us. I mean, it may happen with some other, communities that get lumped in with the minority crowd um, and they might push for some things but I think before that happens we have to really change culturally um, and change our viewpoint on ourselves and our overall position in the world that's all I got Kamara you know I can nerd out about the miseducation of the Negro all night but I'm going to let Stephen Hughes have it <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get in the way of nerding out, but um, uh, a couple of things I'll mention. Uh, so I know that Tiffany talked about redlining earlier, and um, I just want. I don't want to assume that everybody knows what redlining is, or everybody who will listen to the space again knows that what redlining is. But um, redlining is really the illegal act of denying uh, people credit in a specific area based on their based on something about them, whether it's their race or something else. 
and redlining historically happened um, and consistently still happens like for black people in many different zip codes across the country, which I'm trying to nerd out about those documentaries too. So slide them this way too. Um, but the the other thing that I'll mention, um, Jonathan, you were talking about really like the access, one, the access to advice that we have as a community. And um, I, I don't want y'all to, to get it twisted. I want the, I want the information to continue at every level um, in regards of the advice that we give each other, and really the information that we share with each other so we can take action when we're ready to take action on it. But um, something that I'll mention is that, like you you mentioned that pretty much everybody has access to a 401k or like an investment account now. And I feel like it's maybe half of all black people have access to an investment account for real. And so even thinking about things that we paint with a general brush to say like, oh, we all can do this specific thing or we all have access to this specific financial vehicle like we can all angel invest we could all start real estate investing all these different things um fill in the blank i think that um, that was part of the reason why i mentioned why i mentioned before like instead of us focusing on like what what it is that's different from us and another um group like to focus on the things that we need to that we want to increase so if we want to increase our community having investment accounts because only 44 percent of us actually have one then we're gonna you know focus on that instead of trying to figure out like how what pace are we keeping with um, anybody else or any other culture and I think um, like as we sometimes when we have some conversations like this um, we think about like how we're making decisions or the things that we've done to this point with money and saying like we didn't have we never seen this much money before we've never had access to this much money before and um, what we oftentimes see just uh in the world of financial therapy is that uh, the lion's share of decisions that you make around money are dependent on a few things. One is the things that you saw about money growing up. Two is the things that you heard about money growing up. Three is the things that you experienced around money. And four, which is like the biggest thing, is like your parents' experience with money, their parents' experience with money, their parents' parents and, and their parents. Like it goes back at least seven uh, generations in regards of how we're actually impacted when we're making money decisions now. And so um, I, with my clients, sometimes the most dangerous place to start with their new financial picture is their money goals or their budget because they have this idea of how money should look or how it should feel because they've experienced some type of financially traumatic experience when they were kids. And so I think as we get um, more focused, like on us in the specific challenges we face, that's more on the lens of what I'm talking about or along the rails of what I'm talking about as far as um, giving ourselves the opportunity to study those things about ourselves and then give ourselves the, like share the information and things that we can use to move forward. Because I can tell you right now, when we're talking about decolonizing like our money mindset, I can tell you many things that we do um, as a Jamaican with our money that is more of a community and it's, it's a more of a community feel when it comes to um, moving with your money, which are the things that we want to do anyway, right? Um, and we can do those things. Like I, I think when we're talking about uh, supporting each other's businesses or, or doing other things like Kamari mentioned, I think there are a lot of people who want to do them. Um, but I think back to like the stages of change when it comes to like our mindset, right? 
um, one out of five people are really actually ready to take action and do something different. Like the other four people who are still trying to figure out if they're going to move forward are deciding if this is a problem or not. Like, oh, do people really not support black owned businesses? Um, then they're trying to figure out like what the pros and cons are as far as like their discomfort of um, is it further? Is it more expensive because of different factors or whatever it is or anything else that they have on their plate? But the other things that like you when it comes to um, anybody making new decisions or picking up new habits, like they're going through these stages of change and we can't expect anybody to get there any faster. Uh, we just have to put like give people the environment to change their situation. And so um, I know Rakim mentioned like making a, a horse thirsty earlier. Like I have no idea where bro was going to really hit with that analogy as far as making a horse thirstier, but um, he can, he can break it down for us if, if you'd like. But I think that in, in the grand scheme of things, when I'm talking about like us doing things that are different and making sure that we do decolonize our mindset it is we're naturally communal we naturally gravitate towards each other. Like we start, we're socially uh, like connected, like even um, like playing a beat that you never heard before. Sometimes you feel it and you start dancing the same way Brez dancing because you understand like your body understands what's going on. There are things that we have in common with that, with each other that um, we just have in common. And when we're able to really take uh, steps back to know that this is, a, it's not like a mindset thing necessarily, but it's because of the way that we experience money or we experience or heard about money or saw money being moved in our household or community before why we feel this way about each other um, and not necessarily like anything else. I think we can start moving towards solutions and, and even more like growing stuff with each other. But um, I know that already happens. I think that it can happen more. That's, that's my biggest thing. Yo, that was dope. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings, but I want to keep us on target. So Jay, then Steven Stack, and then I see Tamika, your hand. Hey, uh, good, good evening, after everyone. Um, what I was thinking about while everybody was talking and we're talking about decolonization is that I don't think we, I don't think we really understand the blows that we've suffered. Um, I say the last, let's say, 20 years, right? Because you have the the crash of like 07, 08, the housing crash that was re very real, uh, affected a lot of us. And then you have the, the secondary kind of depression, recession, or whatever you want to call it around, I want to say 2015. And then in the pandemic, um, they did a study and it's like only one out of five Black people during the lockdown were able to work remotely. And so... Couple that with, you know, the elders and family members that, you know, we lost and, and things of that nature is that there there are a lot of us who have been dealt heavy blows, um, like almost like back to back, right? And so what I was thinking about was a multi-layered co-op because there are some of us who have the financial capital let's say, to buy a house and turn it into a rental property or, or to whatever. But there are those of us who want to do that, that don't have the money, but they would be willing to do the maintenance. They would be willing to mow the yard. They would be willing to, you know, do whatever. And so 
I was I was thinking about a model where um, those of us who do have the financial means, but maybe not the time, maybe not the energy, um, could then bring up those who do have the time, who do have the energy, but not the financial means. And, and if there was some sort of matchmaking apparatus where, because um, I think there's a lot of people who want to do good by their finances, they just don't know how they don't, or they don't, they don't see where they have extra. Um, and I, and I think that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Um, and that, those are just my thoughts. Thank you, Jay. We appreciate that. And and thanks for stopping into the space. I think this is, this is the first time that I've seen you since we, uh, since we started stack. Hey, um, so I think that uh, I think that there were things that uh, Stephen was saying or Steve Hughes was saying that um, that were really resonating with me of, of some of the things that I wanted to share just around because we were talking about uh, decolonizing our financial mindset and one of our cultural uh, superpowers or ethnic superpowers is having more of a communal mindset of of really looking looking out for each other and building with one another uh, that I think that is something that does present an an advantage or just a different way of approaching money, thinking about it and um like just just rediscovering having a real love and trust uh, in each other. Because, I mean, even I'm thinking about just this uh, space that we are on and how we do this week after week after week after week. And every time that we have these talks, there's often just kind of the collective head nod, even though I know these are audio uh, notes that between like the little reactions that we can see, there's, there's often a common thread between a lot of our stories. Um, And I think as we continue fighting on on multiple fronts i love what tiffany talked about with the political angle and there's so many other directions to go of even just having monies collectively together to lobby i mean that's like more next level politics of saying hey this is an issue that we are going to lean into because there's so many that we so many directions we can go but saying hey this is one we can collectively agree on and push in that direction while learning or relearning and rediscovering love in one another and trust in each other and building with each other um, that I think will help us tremendously in reframing how we think about it. Because even the the last quick example, because I really want to actually hear from Tamika, um, is like often I'll see people on Twitter and I don't know why the algorithm pushes me this way. Cause I see a lot of stuff that I'm like, man, I have no interest in and I'm muted and all that. 
but like I'll see a lot of these debates about uh you know our men and women and pitting us against each other in a just such a quick uh lack of trust for one another and I'm like man what if we what if we flip that and we're quick to trust each other instead, whether, you know, whether it be romantically in business in friendships, just in community, that, that would get us more on a path towards decolonization as well as doing a lot of the macro things, but I'll stop there because I want to hear Tamika. Hey everyone. Um, that was an interesting, interesting point about, um, infighting, but, um, I just wanted to mention, like, with the community building piece is, you know, there's been communities that have been thriving, are uh, thriving in the past, and it seems like a lot of those communities are destroyed in one way or another, whether it's, like, highways or fires or, you know, different things just happen to the communities to um, you know, just break up the community so that you're not, you don't have that um, safety um, among your people. So I just wanted to talk about how we protect the communities that we start to cultivate and build from, you know, being destroyed, whether it's through policy or actual physical um, destruction. But I guess to Stephen's point as well, it's like I, I I have ended up on the wrong side of TikTok and I do see a lot of this like I don't know this men versus women thing is <laughs> it's a lot. Um that's just a whole other conversation. But, you know, we just have to get to a point where we come back together and, you know, build together and protect these things that we build. So that's all right. Kamari, bring us home. All right. So the, the question, and I guess I want to pose to the floor is if we're talking about decolonizing our financial or our financial minds, how do we do that if our overall minds have not been decolonized yet? Because a lot of what we're seeing now, a lot of like outside of the external forces of demand, as a lot of people would like to say there's a lot of internal things that we are all suffering from as a community that are due to our colonized mindset. So again, I, I just wonder how do we go about, you know, destroying or, or demolishing the financial mindset without first, without first uh, decolonizing our overall minds. This is a question I have for the floor. Oh, can I jump right quick? Um, I know <clears throat> time is limited, so I think I can do about 15 seconds. Um, I'll say this. Uh, one of the mantras that I've always lived, or not always, but I've recently gained perspective um, is a value of mine is progress, not perfection. I've been to counseling. Many of you on the call have been to counseling and talked about your therapeutic journey. The fact is, I don't personally believe anyone ever is healed in the sense of you get over everything that's occurred to you that might 
be an emotional challenge. You do learn how to manage it well. There are some things you just don't do. Like Stephen said, he knows how to set healthy boundaries. He has faith. I think that's something we all might, that we all align with. But the the notion or the idea of how is that going to go <laughs> just would be almost to say, hey, I get the money. I don't have no problems. At least that, that's just my impression of the, the question. And I would say that as someone who I fully expect to have a certain level of wealth as my daughter is coming up, but I also know she's going to unlock a different set of emotional challenges, a different set of traumatic challenges that unfortunately the money is going to trigger. Unfortunately, just because I was unable to unlock a certain, I'm sorry, a certain level of wealth does not distract or take away from the fact that I still don't control where her school is or what school she's going to, who she's around and who she's around, what experiences they've had. She will have to interact with all these different people and personalities out. So it, I don't think it's a thing of how do you move forward? No, you you learn, you put behaviors, you put practices in place to manage it well. What would some of those practices be? I was supposed to jump back. <laughs> I was like, right. My, uh, my bad. My bad. I was, no, no, I was... no. Um, no, no. Uh, you're right. Spaces, spaces like this, aligning yourself, understanding who who are your values. How does that work? What is another practice? What is a defining? What is a healthy boundary? And training them on that because we know, like, again, I've, I've been, I know what a healthy boundary is. I know what. It means that, oh, this person made you upset. Well, we need to define, did they make you upset or did they cross a boundary that you didn't quite lay out for them? The other thing is to understand that everyone's not going to treat you like I will treat you. <laughs> the fact is, a lot of stuff is society, like you guys said, it's in the education, what, they, what people have seen images-wise of what a Black woman is, is not what my daughter's faith would be when they saw it. So when they see her, they don't understand why she ain't doing certain things. Or they might think, why is she not with seven kids? And like Tiffany said, on wig and you know, all these images that are in the world. So it's one of those things of uh, doing that, educating, experiencing, meaning for me, outside of the US, traveling abroad, understanding how different cultures cultivate family dynamics, cultivate relationship dynamics, and cultivate a society that everyone can actually get along and progress forward. And learning those behaviors, because I'm still learning it too, that, I mean, it just makes it a little bit easier for her to have a, a just a more positive surrounding as she walks through her life. Yeah, I, I just want to, I want to chime in, Jonathan, I appreciate you answering that question. Kamari, I appreciate you asking it. Um, because I know, you know we're past time and yeah, I want to be respectful of what we have going on. But um, there was something that Tamika said that I don't want us to to brush over. I think it was probably one of the most profound statements in the um hour plus that we've been together. And it was a question that I want to ask of all of you rhetorically. Of course, I want you to think about it, ponder on it, and feel free to get back to me if you feel so inclined. And that question was how do we protect the communities that we cultivate like this one um, 
I thought I thought that was just so deep because you know, a lot of us hit on it. You know, Jonathan, I think you mentioned it, and um, Steve uh, Stack, I think you hit on it too. And um, you know, just the the fact that we come together week after week after week, and I don't know how many times we've done this now, but I've watched it grow from an idea to to something pretty big. I mean, this is. I think this is the most people we've had at one time in a space. So shout out to all of you guys for tuning in. But how do we continue to build community, nurture that community, and protect that community so that um, it, it continues to be a safe space, a space for us to continue to exchange ideas, to Stephen's point, to recognize the rhythm in you know, our speech and our actions and our thoughts um and build off of that and ultimately achieving this goal of decolonizing our mind um on on a very high level and holistically but specifically around our finances um again this is not a question for anybody to um to answer right now but I do want it I want you guys to kind of let it marinate um and as you guys let that marinate I'm going to turn it over to uh to Tiffany so that she can uh wrap us up and close us out. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rakim. And thank you to everyone. Oh, really quick. I see Steven has his hand up. So let's go to Steven real quick. All right. So I'm not going to answer Rakim's last question right now. But I did want to mention, because Kamari asked this question as far as like, um, can we change or decolonize our, our financial mindset before we decolonize our mindset in general? And the only thing I wanted to mention is that um, there has to be a catalyst. There has to be something that sets us on a track to decide we are going to change our mindset. And our money touches every single, every single thing in our lives. Like your money is touching your mental, your, your spiritual, your emotional, your physical health, your finances are touching them all. And so if if we know this and we know that financial stress is the top stress that every single person feels, even outside of our community, that every single person feels, this is a place and an opportunity for us to say like, hey, it don't have to be like this. And by the way, as we change this and swap this out, how about we set a different track that we're going to build uh, communal tools so that you don't have to feel like this, you and your family don't have to feel like this going down the road. And we use that as a uh, as a flag to start planting the idea that we can change the way that we've been doing things or that we will do things going down the road. Um, that's all I wanted to say. All right. Thank you. And really quick, Kamari, just because this was the answer to your question. I don't know. Um, I was going to say to Stephen uh, Hughes, that is, that that's one of the reasons why I do talk about personal finance, finance, small business. Because it does touch every aspect. But with my platform, I try to be holistic, talk about the history, talk about how we got here, talk about, you know, we don't have to do things just because some billionaire, some white billionaire does it. Um, I like to highlight black billionaires, black people who have done things, black thought leaders. And I guess for me, I enjoyed when you brought this up last week, because I feel that's something that's so missing from the black financial space. And I wish it was more there because if the black financial 
thought leaders just mimic the white ones, we're already losing. And that's all I got to say to that. All right. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you all ended on that uh, note because that's important for us to all think about. So just so you all know, this is Finn Noir, Space for Black Money Talk. We do this every Monday night at 9 p.m. We try to go for an hour. Sometimes we go over, but it's okay because the topics that we cover and the things we talk about is so important for our community. And we're just happy to have this space and being able to share this energy with you all. So um, on that note, we will continue next week. But um, please make sure that you are following the people in here. Because as you can see, we are all out here trying to do the work. No, let me rephrase that. We are doing the work. (laughs) Um, And it's important to make sure that you have the like-minded individuals on your timeline, on your feed, um, you know, just community in that aspect. So make sure you do that. And then if you missed most of it, just catch the replay. Um, I do leave it up on my page. And then also it will be on the Money Talk with Tiff podcast um, next week will be this replay. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to all the speakers and everybody that, um, put in their input tonight and thank you so much to my co-hosts for taking the lead on this one and thank you Stephen for giving us the topic Stephen Hughes sorry (laughs) Um, I appreciate you all sharing your energy this was amazing and I hope to see you next week bye peace out thank you for listening joining and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at moneytalkwitht. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient.